Welcome to another episode of Love and War, the podcast in which the irresistible force overcomes the immovable object. I'm your host, Lee Ballinger. I'm an author, poet, and producer based in Los Angeles. If you want to know more, check out my bio on Facebook, L-E-E-B-A-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. You can hit me up at rockrap at AOL.com. R-O-C-K-R-A-P, or on Facebook. Wealthy philanthropists prattle on endlessly about how they want to help the world, about their own selflessness. But their selves are doing just fine. Billionaire and former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg has given away hundreds of millions of dollars, yet he still owns a private jet and some 13 properties around the world, estates in London, Bermuda, the Hamptons, and Westchester County. Bill Gates has promised to give away most of his $80 billion fortune. Yet Bill will have a little something left over. He lives in a 66,000-square-foot house worth over $100 million. The reality is that to give, the philanthropist must first take. Take from employees, some of whom are sweatshop workers or incarcerated prisoners, Take from the public treasury, tax breaks and subsidies, or take from the earth. Texan George P. Mitchell, dubbed the father of fracking, became a billionaire from that unholy spawn. He gave away hundreds of millions of dollars during his lifetime, and when he died in 2013, he left over $800 million to a foundation he named for himself. Why do ultra-wealthy philanthropists give so much money away? First of all, to keep more of it. They receive massive tax breaks for their generosity. But they are also determined to gain complete control of society. Philanthropists are using their money to fund tax-free foundations which are working to get rid of pensions and public schools. British Petroleum has bought control of much of the curriculum at UC Berkeley. And Charles Koch made a large donation to Florida State University on the condition that he could decide who was hired and fired by the school's economics department. Philanthropy is not the answer to our mounting problems, especially not when it gives more control to people like venture capitalist Tom Perkins. Perkins has given away millions of dollars to medical institutions, universities, and the San Francisco Ballet. Yet Perkins hates the American people. He compares what he calls the media's focus on income inequality to the Nazis' perpetration of Kristallnacht. The way to end a focus on income inequality is to get rid of it. Neither Perkins nor his fellow philanthropists want anything to do with that. That will put an end to their thinly disguised charity hustle and all that goes with it. Well, it seems like I've been playing the game And it seems the game I've played has made you strong 
the game is over, I won't walk out a loser. Yeah, I know that I'll walk out of here again. Yeah, I know someday I'll walk out of here again. But now Last month, Josh Fox, director of the widely acclaimed documentary Gasland, put out a press release denouncing a film which advocates moving beyond coal but only into the deadly embrace of natural gas and fracking. The film, From the Ashes, is the first feature produced by Bloomberg Philanthropies and it was funded by billionaire former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. Fox notes that Bloomberg and his allies including the big green leaders the film interviews, are avid supporters of fracking to obtain natural gas as a so-called bridge fuel to sustainable energy. But in fact, fracked gas extraction enriches elite investors while destroying the environment. From the Ashes interviews the likes of Carl Pope, who, as executive director of the Sierra Club, supported billionaire oilman T-Bone Pickens' plans to develop U.S. fossil fuel reserves. The Sierra Club accepted millions of dollars in donations from the natural gas industry on Pope's watch. Meanwhile, sometime during the second week of July, a block of ice the size of Delaware broke away from Antarctica and is now floating freely in the Weddell Sea. The iceberg's one trillion tons of ice have already begun to melt. I have a new book out called Love and War, My First 30 Years of Writing. You can download a copy absolutely free at loveandwarbook.com. That's loveandwarbook.com. Let me know what you think of it. Donald Trump talks a lot of trash about trade. Exports, imports, blah, blah, blah. Not much of what he says is true, but this here is a true story. When I was in the Navy, I went on three deployments to the Western Pacific in Vietnam. On the first two, we had been allowed to buy almost anything we could afford when we were in Japan, store it on the ship, and evade customs when we returned to the United States. But for some reason, on the third trip, the word came down from on high that we would not be allowed to bring home any purchases. A good friend of mine had already bought a Kawasaki 300 motorcycle. What was he to do? He tried to take it back and get a refund. No way. So he found a place to completely disassemble it, and several of us brought it on board one piece at a time and hid the parts all over the ship, the toughest task being to make the wheels disappear. When we got back to San Diego, we had to do it all over again, this time sneaking the parts off the ship. My friend put it all back together, got it running, 
and gave us all rides up into the back country above San Diego. In Henry VI, Shakespeare had a character say, let's kill all the lawyers. In our litigious society, that obviously hasn't happened yet, but computers are working on it. A New York Times story highlighted how heavily computers' pattern recognition abilities are already being exploited by the legal industry, where, according to one estimate, moving from human to digital labor during the discovery process could let one lawyer do the work of 500. From a legal staffing viewpoint, it means that a lot of people who used to be allocated to conduct document review are no longer able to be billed out, said Bill Hare, who is a lawyer at a major chemical company, used to muster auditoriums of lawyers to read documents for weeks on end. People get bored. People get headaches. Computers don't. The point is simply this. Jobs can no longer be the basis of a livelihood for most people. Studies have estimated that there are somewhere between 97 million and 102 million Americans of working age who are not working. Is another way of organizing society possible? There will be plenty of wealth to go around, but not that much work, David Horsey writes in the Los Angeles Times. So our society will need to guarantee a minimum income for everyone by letting all citizens share in the vast wealth created by robot labor. It's that time of the year when football teams at all levels are out in the hot sun, practicing, getting ready for the season start in September. This is an email I sent out on August 1st, 2001. Yesterday, Minnesota Viking offensive tackle Corey Stringer died of a heat stroke at practice on a day when the heat index was 110 degrees. He stopped sweating, his insides started cooking, and his body temperature went up over 108. My son Jesse went to grade school with Corey. I can't honestly say I remember him, but the Stringer family was one of a handful of extended families from Mississippi that helped make Warren, Ohio a good place to live. I knew Stringers at work, at the Y, at the clubs. A couple of Stringers had a great barbecue place in town. In the midst of this unusually cold Los Angeles summer, I remember the heat back home. Working on the pouring platform at Republic Steel one summer day with the temperature approaching 100, I got so hot that I stopped sweating and, like Corey Stringer, I passed out. I was taken to the Mills Hospital, but unlike Corey Stringer, I survived. I also remember two-a-day high school football practices in intense heat. If I had been a lot better at the sport, I could have been Corey Stringer. If he had been a lot worse at it, he could have been me. Let's play football and let's make steel, but let's cool out. We're all in this life together, even after we leave it. If you survive camp, you will be on the team. If you survive. Do I speak for the world? 
Let's finish up with a quote of the week. On percussion, vocals and guitar, give it up, Carlos Santana! What I'm talking about is creating a new system where we can get rid of war, violence, brutality, no more Vietnam, no more Iraq, no more, no more investing money in destruction to defend, protect, or attack. That's it for now. If you see me on the street, smile back. Because together we will.